sauces and it is in government conspiracies. But I've seen none of the above. If I did, I think I probably would run a million miles. Lose my little mind. Hello and welcome to X Files Talk X Files, the only podcast that knows Vince Gilligan was writing compelling TV about people with terminal cancer long before Breaking Bad. My name is David Harwood. And I'm here tonight with Trish Silver and Emily Galliazzi from xfilesnews.com. Hello, both of you. Hi. Hi, thank you very much for coming along and being a part of this. Thank you so much for inviting us. It's a pleasure. Okay, so tonight's episode, we are going to do um, another section of season four. We're doing Paper Hearts all the way through to Unrequited. So we have a few episodes to get through, uh, quite a few good ones in there as well. Yeah. Before we get into yeah. that, we don't really have any news on the revival as such this week. Um, I just wanted to pimp out another podcast that I had heard recently. Um, it's actually was released a few weeks back now. Uh, it's the Nerdist Writers Panel podcast, and it's the July 14th episode. They basically did like an hour or so interview with Chris Carter uh, talking about how he used to run his writer's room on the X-Files back in the day and talked a little bit about the upcoming revival. So if you've got any interest in TV writing or in the X-Files in general, I do recommend that you go and give that a listen. It's quite cool how he's talking about in the early years of the show, they used to have a very traditional sort of writer's room where everybody would come in, pitch their stories, and as a group they would break down uh, the different plot beats of each episode. But as the show progressed... It became more of an individual thing. People would pitch their episodes to him and then they would go away and they would write it on their own. They would break the episode on their own. Uh, So I thought that was quite interesting. He also said that uh, the first cut that he turned into Fox of I Want to Believe was uh, pretty much turned back to him. And they said it was R-rated torture porn and he had to go ahead and change it up quite a bit to the version that we know today. (laughs) He also dropped some hints about the revival and... I'm not sure in retrospect if some of this is maybe speculation on my part, but so go ahead and listen to it for yourself and let me know what you think. But he seemed to suggest that, um, uh, well, as we know, for the new season, everybody is going to be handling their own scripts. Uh, Like he said, that they did in the latter years of the X-Files, people are going away on their own and writing their own scripts. There's not going to be a traditional writer's room as such. And as we know, everyone's going to be directing the own scripts that they write. He did strongly imply that uh, the six episodes they're, the six episodes they're doing are going to be bookended by two Chris Carter mythology episodes, so the first episode and the sixth episode, and that they're going to be all standalone episodes in between those, but that there will be a through line of Mulder and Scully's relationship. <laughs> so Trish, Emily, have you heard anything along those sort of lines of what we're going to get in those four middle episodes? Um, no, actually, I haven't. Because but, I, I um, know we've been speculating how much is going to be mythology and how much is going to be standalone. Yeah, it's. we were pretty sure that, that the majority of it was going to be standalone because that's yeah. what Chris likes more. And um, But yeah, like we have no idea, especially because they are keeping all the guest roles under wraps. The only yeah. people that we really hear of are like 
new people or the people that we would not even bear to imagine the revival without, like Cancer Man and all that. But yeah, like as far yeah, as and the lone gunman Mark- and the lone gunman now. <clears throat> but yeah, I have no idea. I'm really curious to see how this is going to turn out. Yeah, I was about the lone gunman coming back into it. Right around, I'm not sure if it's the same day or a day before or after, they announced the, the title of the fourth episode, which is actually going to be written by Glenn Morgan, I think. It's called Babylon, yeah. and I think Chris said it's going to yeah. be unlike anything that they've done on the show before. Mm-hmm. A different kind of story, so I, I wonder if those two yeah. are connected and that maybe this is going to yeah. be a story that delves into an exploration of the afterlife or something, and that's how they shoot that- on in Lone Gunman and maybe some others. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting to me. No, that was just interesting to me because him saying, "Oh, we've never done this before." It's like they've done so much on this show. Like, I don't. um, It's um, intriguing. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of hard to imagine what else he can do. (laughs) But I've often wondered, especially when it when it when he comes to the lone gunman, I've often wondered because in a in an interview a long time ago, he mentions like if he was ever to come back, he would want to. fix something that he thought he needed to be fixed from this from the show and i often wonder if that's the lone gunman so i don't know if yeah i do remember that what he's gonna what is gonna fix yeah i think avi mentioned that in the last podcast or in a in a recent podcast yeah something about that and they were her and tiffany were speculating that it was to do with william but uh when i saw the lone gunman announcements i was wondering mm-hmm. about that as well <laughs> Yeah, well, I think the Lone Gunman, especially because he's going to do mythology episodes as well. So, like, the Lone Gunman, um, I'm sorry, William, that, that's it goes along with mythology. You can't have mythology without William, and you can't have William without mythology. Yeah. So, it's it, it really makes me think that maybe what he was talking about is because of the Lone Gunman. Or maybe somebody else, or maybe even Kensterman. Like, how is he going to explain that, too? So, I don't know. <laughs> We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, patiently. But the good news is he did say that him and the uh, writers who are working on this revival are, already have got some ideas for additional episodes for a possible yeah, extra that's revival down the road. Um, yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> including that one would... that him and Darren Morgan have been discussing for years. I think from when he was working on the show around season three sort of time. And an idea that they've been kicking around and maybe that might potentially find its way into the second revival so that'd be cool yeah that would be really nice so let's move on to uh discussing these episodes then so we're going all the way from the revival back to season four and the first episode tonight is going to be paper hearts uh, which is the first one that really delves into what happened to samantha um you know we've seen a lot of what could possibly have happened to Samantha uh, with Colony and Endgame where an adult Samantha arrived and sort of gave an explanation, but it soon turned out that wasn't actually her. Was it a clone of her? We, you know, it, it's pretty much accepted fact that it was a clone of her, especially once we saw yeah. the younger clones of Samantha, but this takes things in a completely different way. And what if it wasn't an alien abduction? What if it was just a child kidnapping? That's what happened to her and, that she was killed yeah. and you know a lovely dark episode from Vince Gilligan yeah definitely <laughs> I remember watching this one and this is when the X-Files was you know in its 
at its prime. It really was. And it was right right in the crest of the cultural zeitgeist and stuff at this point. And just to see um, this alternative take on something which was a core part of the show's mythology, saying that, you know, this singular truth that's been driving Mulder this whole time possibly wasn't even the truth. Um, was pretty cool yeah and it's it's very it's frightening and it's exciting in a way to see all of that happen to Mulder because you you when he when he gets that doubt in his mind that maybe she wasn't abducted by aliens that she was taken by this guy it you you can see that like his world falls apart because he's basically lived his whole entire life with that in his mind that his sister was abducted by aliens and then all of a sudden he gets this bunch of information that might actually lead to something concrete about what happened to her and he 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 watches his whole world fall apart because of that yeah and i mean it's just the doubt too that he was so easily swayed because he thinks that's what happened but he doesn't really know so yeah it's the doubt that really kills him it's kind of uh, interesting as well how it it sort of mirrors his obsession with the obsession of John Lee Roach and that they both kind of have these little fantasy worlds that they go into that Mulder, well, maybe not necessarily fantasy, but Mulder sort of um, has this strong belief that Samantha was taken by aliens, whereas John Lee Roach is sort of living in this fantasy that he's the Mad Hatter and the Alice in Wonderland and you have that whole uh, thing about Lewis Carroll sort of coming out there and his obsession with young girls. Yeah. I love all of that about that episode. Like the whole Alice in Wonderland comparison and everything. And and, and to mention what you said about um, the relationship between Mulder and Johnny Roach, when, um, when they, fir- when, when you first see the two of them together, it's like, it's two old friends meeting. Yes. <laughs> but in reality, they're not really old friends. Like, but when, like, you get that feeling that these guys are like, they've been friends for so long, but they're not. But it looks like they're yeah, well, too- Yeah, the that. episode two talks about the connection that they have. So I think that's what they wanted you to feel. Especially with like so, how free. It's kind of interesting to see how free Johnny Roach moves in that prison. You know, like the other time you see him, he's just by himself playing basketball. And yeah. That's like not something that you expect. So, in, again, it it goes with like how Mulder and him are just connected in that way. Yeah, it, I I really like the the scene uh, the sequence towards the end where he has kidnapped kidnapped that little girl and they go chasing for him through the that whole yard with all the disused trams or buses or whatever they yeah, are the, in there. That's such a cool location. Yeah, it is. It's it, it's a very intense. Too, I, 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 this is one of my favorite episodes. I really like Paper Heart. Another mm-hmm. thing in this episode that really touches me is the music in this episode. The music is brilliant. I mean, Mark Snow is fantastic, but there's like a, a handful of episodes where his music is just so in sync. Like it's always in sync, but there's a couple of episodes where it's just perfect, and this is one of them. Like Paper Hearts, the music is just beautifully done and it's kind of like cheery but mysterious at the same time and it goes along with like it's a bunch of little girls and there's an Allison it, it has that little child feel with the, the yeah. whole Allison Wonderland comparison and it's got like the little tingling here and there and it, it's beautiful music I love yeah. the music 
so yeah it's very sort of playful and uh yeah but dark in the same way yeah, yeah i would say like oddly eerie at the same time so. exactly the next episode we have is el mondo gira which is written by john scheiben this is uh one that uh, this is another episode that sort of deals with the whole issue of xenophobia and people outside our typical um, Western philosophy, I suppose. It's, it's basically dealing with another folktale from another land, same as Taliko several episodes before, and it's something that, you know, a well the Exiles has visited on a number of occasions throughout its nine-year run. This one is dealing with the story of the Mexican goat sucker, but in the context of a Mexican soap opera, really, <laughs> two two brothers, one girl, trouble. I think yeah. is what they say. And, yeah, that's um, what she said. Yeah, it is. That's what they say. It's quite interesting. I found out today for the first time that El Mundo Gira is actually Spanish for the world rotates, which is probably yeah. a reference to as the world as turns. The world. So oh, yeah. okay. it is a Mexican soap opera. It is a Mexican soap opera. It's, it's funny because of the way that it's told too. you know, like all the other episodes, even when they have like a voiceover or somebody telling the story, this is like it's it's usually Mulder, Scully, or another main character. But in yeah. this episode, it's actually them telling the story. And yeah, it's, it's like people that you've never seen in any other episode. There were just the guest roles in this one standalone episode, and they're the ones telling the story. It's kind of like blood. Um, it's kind of like uh, bad blood, but it's Mulder and Scully telling stories. But in this case, it's not Mulder and Scully. It's the guest roles telling the story. It's the Mexican guest yeah. story, which is great. Yeah, it's quite interesting because the story itself, you know, is pretty small. You know, compared to some of the other stories that get told on the show, this is kind of small in that it's, there's three main key players in it. You know, the two brothers and that the one girl. And, you know, it's sort of a story of vengeance and him wanting to then yeah. flee and get back to Mexico and stuff. But... You know, and these people as well are on the borders of society that you know they don't get noticed by a lot of people because they are in the country illegally. But by telling these stories, you're sort of making their lives a lot bigger. And whether they're exaggerating the fantastical elements of it or not, the idea is that you've got this very small sort of story, but through telling the stories, it becomes you know, a myth. It becomes larger than life. So right. it's a soap opera, but it's also that's how folklore and stuff has gotten passed down exactly. for generations. Yeah, and that's how yeah. things get, and that's how stories get distorted. Because yeah, like when telephone. You, <laughs> and when you have the the scene, there's a scene. I think it's towards the end where the that old woman is just describing. She's telling the people what happened, and then she thinks she sees the aliens coming from the over the the top of the hill. And, and then at the end of the episode, you see that it was actually the hazmat people and Mulder and Scully behind. And, you know, like, she was telling, like, it was the aliens yeah. and it was super covered, but in, in reality, it wasn't. It was the hazmat. Yes. <laughs> Mulder and Scully. So, like, you, there's two stories right there. And, like, and that is a great <laughs> iconic image of all those aliens coming over the crest of the exactly. hill. And yeah. it's not actually a story about aliens at all. <laughs> not at all. Exactly. That's that's why I, that's one of the things I love so much about that episode because it's not a mythology episode. It has nothing to do with aliens, but somehow he man, he managed to put his little alien signature in there. It's kind of like yeah. the Hitchcock effect, where he you know like every Hitchcock movie he manages to put himself in there, 
as his signature and like Chris Carter is like the aliens. He's the, the aliens are his signature. He like manages to bring a little bit of it back to every, mm-hmm. every episode. There's another thing at the beginning. You, well, I, you see it in the beginning, you see it throughout the whole episode, but there, that, that huge billboard, the, the huge billboard about um, how the chupacabra is back and uh, there's like, yes. And stuff, and there's like an alien face just drawn on that. Yeah. So that's another like another little thing that he just put there. Just and uh, the well, at the end too, I think Mulder, when they were talking to Skinner, he said that the enzyme was from outer space. So yeah, aliens. <laughs> and it's green too, right? So like, yeah. like the gas from all the other aliens. So like he manages to like try to make you think that it's another story about aliens, but it's really not. Yeah, I guess, you you know, the whole alien thing as well is, you know, they're illegal aliens, so you kind of have that sort of exactly. aspect too. But really, in this episode, Mulder and Scully, the aliens, they're the, they really are the outsiders going yeah. into this situation. Even the immigration officer who they're working with throughout this episode, exactly. who is a great supporting character. You yeah. know, um, Mulder and Scully you know, he are, pretty, are very much the outsiders and he's the one who knows this culture and understands it and who is even encouraging... Um, the brother to shoot his brother towards the episode's conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a little um, thing that Scully says too, like in, when talking about aliens, she's like, I think she says something about like how the aliens in this story are not the ones to blame. They're like the victims. And then, you know, like she's actually talking about them, the Mexicans, because they are the illegal aliens in the country. Yeah. Another thing I really love about this episode is like, I don't know how many people notice, but um, you see, I think um, his name is Raymond Cruz. Yes. Is that one of the brothers? <laughs> it's Tuco from Breaking Bad. And I wonder if, um, because he, you know, like, he he's such a mad character in Breaking Bad. And I wonder if Vince Gilligan, like, chose him for the part because he was a chupacabra back in the days in the X-Files. <laughs> Well, he's done well for himself on Breaking Bad. I mean, he was in Better Call Saul as well then. Yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I I did some research into this because on my website I actually have I compiled a list of all of the actors who were in X Files who were then later in Breaking Bad. So many. There's a lot, yeah, and yeah. I think I remember reading about Raymond Cruz in particular, and I'm not sure if I think Vince remembered him when he went into audition for the part, oh, but yeah? I don't think he got the part because of X-Files. I mean, maybe if he had written yeah. this episode, it would be a different story. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. probably. Because he, he, um, he did that with um, Brian Cranston because he actually wrote Drive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but there's a lot of people. In Dean there's Norris a and... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go go to X Files. Talk X Files dot com, and if you scroll down to the bottom of that page, I think there's a link there, so you can see all of the actors <laughs> who were in X Files who were then in Breaking Bad. I did my research on that, <laughs> just because there were so many that I recognised. You know. Anyway, let's move on to the next episode that we're going to talk about tonight, and this might be a little bit controversial. Um, in some quarters of fandom, it might be completely uh, new to uh, relatively new fans of the show. But uh, the next episode that we're actually going to talk about is Never Again. Now, strictly speaking, uh, Leonard Betts was broadcast first 
before Never Again. And the reason that they did that was because X-Files was going to air after the Super Bowl and they thought that Leonard Betts would be a stronger episode to try and bring in new fans, new viewers to the show over Never Again. So that's why they flipped them. The reason that we're going to talk about Never Again first, though, we're not going to do it in broadcast order, is because that's the way it was originally intended. It was Never Again, then it was Leonard Betts, and then it goes into Memento Mori after the... uh, the bombshell that we get at the end of Leonard Betts. And uh, it's not just because that's the way that it was originally designed to be seen. It's also because if you watch Leonard Betts and then Never Again, it's a totally different take on the Scully character. Um, So um, let's go ahead. We're going to start off with Never Again, and then we'll go into Leonard Betts after that. It's not really Mulder and Scully chasing a good... It's not classic Mulder and Scully chasing a monster of the week so they wanted to get as many viewers as they want as they could for the super bowl episode so they actually brought in leonard betts because it was a more like monster of the week episode for that so they brought in that but it's it when i when i watched i watched the show live and when i watched it like back then we didn't have the internet or any of this stuff to like find out what was really like you watched it because you watched it on tv and you didn't know any of this stuff, but then as you as you get more access to information on the internet and you get DVDs and you read all about this and then you start finding out stuff. And every time I've rewatched the series, I always watch it in the right order and it makes so much more sense than whatever mess they did when they aired it on TV. So what's the order that you watch them in? I go El Mundo Jaira and then Kaddish and then Never Again and then Leonard Betts. Okay. I need to go back and do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would just do the never again and then Leonard Betts because, yeah. you know, you... that's the, like, the, those are the two most iconic yeah. for that. But it, the thing with Caddish, though, is that if you, and, and I, I hadn't watched Caddish in so long, and then I watched it today for this, and Caddish, in the order that it aired, Caddish comes right after Memento Mori. And Memento Mori is the big climax of Scully's disease. And it's Mulder being super protective of Scully at the very end and doing, like, basically turning his life around just to be there for her. And then when, when you, the episode you get right after that is Caddish, and there's, like, nothing. He's just just classic Mulder and Scully, their relationship is just back from, like, it, they look like they don't know that she was sick or that any of that other stuff happened. Like, when you watch it all in the right order that Chris made it, it makes so much more sense. Yeah, that, I mean, that does make sense. I was looking at, you know, the writers of each of the episodes, and then you have Caddish and Unrequited, both by Howard Gordon. I thought, well, that's kind of weird. So it makes sense now the knowing yeah. that... Yeah. But at the same time, I can see why they bumped Kaddish up if um, Armando Guido... Yeah, because... You know, they both cover similar sort of ideas of xenophobia and stuff. Yeah. So, I don't think Kaddish would have been a good episode for after the Super Bowl. Because, I mean, the, no. the reason they wanted it was to bring in viewers. And I yeah, don't, like, I mean, logically, Kaddish, I understand that, but... Yeah. But it would have brought as many as Leonard Beck. Yes. Just the content of this episode... I don't think you can really watch it after Leonard Betts because it's just a completely different um, reading on Scully's character in this episode. And Mm -hmm. Gillian said herself that, 
if she had known the contents of Leonard Betts, yeah. she would have played this completely differently. Exactly. You know, knowing that it would have got, you know, knowing that it was going to be broadcast in that sort of order. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. And I was telling Trish earlier that I wish I knew what that view was because I watched this episode thinking she just found out she has cancer, so now she's rebelling and being impulsive, but that wasn't the case, apparently. So <laughs> You've seen a totally different side of Scully, um, but beyond that, it's kind of a throwaway episode. It's a little bit of a light one. It's about, you know, talking tattoo. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, it, it's kind of fun and uh, i didn't realize but quentin tarantino was apparently originally going to direct yeah, this episode but he had a falling yeah. out with the director's guild so they uh, disallowed him from yeah, doing I think it he wasn't yeah he wasn't allowed to do it i wonder how that would have gone <laughs> yeah you've got to imagine that it would have been um you know quite visually different and uh, it <laughs> yeah. would have been interesting to see that yeah. uh, rob Bowman did a great been. job in his place he did, yeah. Really elevated what, you know, as I said, it's not the greatest concept, um, but of course there's a lot of character stuff that goes on in the episode, which... Yeah, I, I was just about to say, this is a good character episode to see, like, because we know a lot about their professional lives, but we don't really know a lot about their personal lives, especially when they're apart. And in this one, it's the perfect experience. You You see... You see a completely different Scully, but yeah. in my head, she—it's and it, it goes with the little story she tells him at the bar how she would sneak out to smoke her mother's cigarettes when she was thirteen years old, and that is like Rebel Scully. So this is like Rebel Scully back. Yes, yeah. Of course, that's a story that we get told for the first time in Beyond the Sea. Yeah, yeah. Of course, this is the episode where our first big star took part in the X-Files, where Jodie Foster did the voice of the tattoo yeah. and also played the frightened she co-worker in the cubicle where Ed goes, yeah. goes crazy and shoves all the things <laughs> off the desk. Um, and, you know, for anybody out there that isn't aware, Chris has said Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs was a big influence on him yeah. creating Scully, and that's even yeah. why she has red hair in the show. Yeah, But it's... You know, to take that parallel a little bit further, in this episode, when you have that brief shot of Jodie Foster in that one scene, she's wearing the exact same outfit that Scully is wearing in the subsequent scene. Yeah. I actually didn't know that was Jodie Foster. I'm going to have to go back and watch that again. <laughs> Every time I watch it, I'm thinking, that looks like her. Is it her? Or maybe it's just somebody that looks a <laughs> no, little bit like this. her, which would have been intentional anyway, but it is apparently her. Because it's it's her, but it's like, it's baby Jodie Foster. And <laughs> she barely looks like herself at all there. But yeah, yeah I, mean, so I guess it's been 20 like, years, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> right? She's really different. But yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the episode that really cements Mulder's obsession with Elvis because he goes on his yeah. spiritual pilgrimage <laughs> to Graceland. <laughs> I love yeah, that. Yeah, I love that. That is great. I always have a hard time of keeping track on, you know, these episodes where it's just Mulder-centric or Scully-centric and what they're both doing yeah. outside of the main story, which, you know, which is the exactly. episode where he goes to Graceland, which is the one where he's throwing pencils in the ceiling and stuff. Because uh, he's bored. 
Yeah, I just love I how love he it. won't tell Scully where he's going. He's just like, it's personal, you know. Yeah. So Leonard Betts is, at first glance, um, another episode along the lines of Squeeze or Too Shy, uh, where you have this genetic mutant that's wanting to feed off of something that he can only get by killing people. In this case, it's cancer. And this is obviously the episode then where it's revealed at the very end that uh, Scully has cancer because Leonard Betts corners her and says, I'm sorry, but you have something that I need. That is so shocking. I love that scene. Yeah. That was like the perfect setup, in my opinion. I don't even think they could have done that any better. Exactly. I agree. Um, Exactly. Yeah. And see, he seemed like a nice guy, though, because when he was working, doing the EMT work, like he did that so he had access to tumors, so he didn't have to kill the people. But when he ended up dying, he had to... But then he he kills his partner later on, and that's and then, and you can see yeah, that it was she rough found for out. him. But yeah. she found out. But yeah, so like survival, that's what's important. So like I know I was probably overthinking this, but a thought crossed my mind when I was watching it. He's an adult now, but what did he eat growing up? Like, is he like a little five year old kid running around? I like I don't getting tumors. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like I don't. You know, I don't really- know. I'm in. Envi- I wonder. I'm laughing because I'm envisioning some sort of cheesy commercial with some little kid that's hungry and he gets his mom <laughs> like, to do some tumor. little microwavable <laughs> tumors. Or <laughs> because at first, when you meet her, she she's she's a good liar because she she makes you if you if you're watching the episode for the first time, she makes you believe that she actually lost her son and she has no idea oh, the of mom, yeah. this other yeah. part of his life. The mom. So, and then after you find that out, that she's actually helping him out. And, yeah, like, you kind of wonder if she was actually the one who, like, really did everything from the beginning to help him as a kid. I mean, so, like, maybe she was the one bringing in the food so that he would live. Or maybe he just developed the disease later on. Who knows? Yeah, I couldn't, um, earlier on, I couldn't get over Mulder's face when Scully was asking him to help because he had the longer arms, you know, and he's just probably sitting there (laughs) like, I don't get paid enough for this. I'm like digging through his gunk. Yeah, and Scully's all weird. Like, she has no trouble putting on a pair of gloves and just like, and she's totally fine with that. This is a pretty cool episode in terms of, you know, delving into the different science and medical sort of exactly. stuff and I'm not sure how much of it is real like when they get the slices of the head and stuff but yeah. it, it seems plausible yeah I don't know about that but like other things that you you can actually do that uh, um, but I don't know if like a whole head I've, I've worked with um, you can do that with tissues I've worked with that like umbilical cords and stuff like that you can actually do that you can slice it and make a slide of it so that you can analyze it but I don't know about a whole head. <laughs> and I don't know about that thing that Chuck does either, like with the energy. Yeah, I don't know what that X-ray. was. <laughs> so I don't know how real that is. <laughs> I think that it it's something that I've heard of, you know, outside of the Exos as well. So I think it it's definitely real-life fringe science, at least. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how much you know <laughs> like for the most part the x-files is pretty good on the science yes. like yeah. you know like all the 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 good the the good crime shows there you can watch it and you can just 
just not go with because it's not right. All of that science, it's but the X Files, especially for a show that was done in the nineties, it's it's pretty good on the science. It, with very few, like, few exceptions, but most of them are pretty good on it. I read something on this episode today um, from a critic called Amy Donaldson, and this is obviously yeah. in retrospect, but she's sort of contrasting the character of Leonard Betts with the Soul Eater from um, The Gift in Season 8, and sort of saying how they're both similar in the regards of that they take illness from other people but you know Leonard Betts is doing it in a malicious way he's killing these people to take the cancer in order to sustain himself in order to survive himself whereas the soul eater you know does it completely um for for different reasons you know is actually maybe even forced to do it because you know he then takes on all of those diseases himself but that he you know he basically does the same thing takes illness cancer whatever it is from somebody else um to cure them to help them whereas you know leonard betts it's the same thing but yeah in a malicious way yeah i mean he did let his mom live though so (laughs) that's true yeah he did that did was she ill I forget. She, yeah, she had cancer. Yeah. I okay. remember what type of cancer she had, but because I and it, from the looks of it, it looks like because when they get to the end of the episode and uh, he knows that he's in trouble and she knows that he's in trouble, and uh, they they look at each other and she like she says something like you know I think you know what you have to do, yeah. and then the next scene we see of her is she's that's in right bad bandage and the ambulance the paramedics are there and all that stuff so it's like this is not yeah, the first he time called them, so. yeah and it, because he called them but you can tell that this is not the first time they've done that so maybe when it got too desperate and he had no other way that's what he would do yeah because he would um he would go to her and i think they they mentioned something in the episode about how she was in remission maybe at the end when they take her to, I think Scully says something like that. I can't remember well, I, exactly. I know somebody said that she had had the cancer before, but then got rid of it. So I'm assuming he yeah. had it, and then it grew back. But yeah, so it would always grow back, and then she—that's why she she's all, she was. It, it made you look like this wasn't the first time they did that because she was like, "I know, I think you know what I, what you have to do." Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And a, a little bit of trivia on this one is that. Um, apparently the ambulance that Betts is assigned to and I think at some point on the clock when Scully wakes up with a nosebleed both it's ambulance number 208 and she wakes up at 208 a.m which is apparently a reference to episode 208 which is one breath which is where Scully's returned after her abduction basically it's an episode of Scully in the hospital which is a good segue into the next episode (laughs) Uh, Memento Mori Yes. And this is another episode where I always forget how much actually happens. Same thing as One Breath, you know. That's to me that's <laughs> an episode of Scully in the hospital and then going back and rewatching it every single time I've forgotten all of the cool stuff in that episode, so many great lines. And it's the same so thing many. with this one. You know, yeah. you have a lot this of the episode. emotional stuff in the hospital, yeah. but then you still have Mulder and the Lone Gunman breaking into the research facility. You have Skinner making a deal with Cigarette Smoking Man. You know, a lot of stuff going down in here. 
This is one of those, this is my favorite episode of all. Um, I love seasons four and five. I think they, they have the best episodes. But Memento Mori is definitely my favorite episode. I think it's so well written. And it's something very unexpected because usually an episode is written by, like the good, good episodes are usually just written by one or two people. But this episode was actually written by four people. And you, when, when you, whenever you have that many people working on something, it's, it's always going to be messy or it's not going to work because everybody's going to have different ideas. But it, it, this episode, everything just fit. It's amazing that it, it's amazing that it wasn't a mess because they broke it so quickly. Because they Darren did. Morgan was apparently supposed to write an episode and it fell through at the eleventh hour. Yeah. So. So Vince, John, and Frank sort of broke it up between them, all went away, wrote an act, and then Chris came and sort of tied it all together. Yeah. But it, it's, it's written so beautifully from the very first scene because that open. I don't think, in my opinion, there is not a stronger um, opening scene on X-Files. Like the yeah, scene, I was going to say that monologue that shot, is like one of my favorites. That yeah. monologue is amazing. And the mm-hmm. shot with the light and just like her silhouette at the very end. And as you, in an epon, it just zooms in closer to her. It's, it's brilliant. I think it was yeah, I love it. beautifully shot. Yeah, it's definitely a, a very powerful episode. I'm not sure if it's necessarily one of my personal favorites. Um, <laughs> but I know a lot of the listeners probably disagree with some of the episodes <laughs> I've said I like. So <laughs> it's it's also really good um, acting on everybody's part. Oh yeah, there's yeah. not and... one, not even a guest role. There is not one actor in that episode that does not give their a hundred percent on it, and it's it's just brilliant. Yeah, and I'm really glad we got to see um, Miss Scully in this episode and like her reaction uh, i love any yes. episode she's in but yeah maggie scully is a great character yeah i and love her sheila larkin played especially in this episode i can't remember if this was something that she mentions that it's like her personal favorites too i'm not sure but it's it's one of the best performance of sheila larkin too is in this episode yeah that is a great i think scene. this is yeah, I think this is the one that um, Jillian won her Amy for, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. She is brilliant in this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, she is, and I like you know how with the mythology stuff, it, it goes back a lot, you know, especially with the um, Penny Norvin yes. coming back into this and the MUFON group. Um, the guy that Mulder is running around with, you know, turns yeah. out to be the adult version of the young boy clone that he yeah. saw with Samantha in the season opener. And and the lone gunman getting out and actually doing something. Exactly. You know, yeah, sowing the seeds for their own TV show right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're so great. Everybody's great in this episode. Yeah. And something and it, I noticed that I wanted to point out was that Skinner, he seems to always be protecting Mulder and Scully and it's evident at the end like he told Mulder not to contact CSM and just to you know leave it alone but then he ends up contacting him at the end he's like sitting yeah he always him. does that yeah he yeah he's he's like the little fatherly figure yeah he's like the father him. protecting Mulder I think yeah I think my issue is I I just know that it's such a heavy episode that I think that's why it's not one that I choose to revisit a whole lot but yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in here. I think that's why I'm saying it's not 
one of my favorite episodes because it is so heavy to watch. It is. It's a really yeah. heavy episode. But, um, I mean, even as a self-described non-shipper, that whole hallway scene at the end with the forehead kiss, I mean, that's, a, you know, one of the iconic moments in their relationship. It in is. In this sort of stage and I'm of the show. I'm so glad, and, and a lot of people are going to hate me for saying this, but I am so glad that the kiss got cut out. Because <laughs> it wasn't right. It wasn't right. It wasn't right. It wasn't a place. It wasn't a time. It mm-hmm. was the way it, it ended was the perfect ending. That the whole, and not just the kiss in that deleted scene, but there's a whole lot of talk between the two of them, and it's it's kind of just noisy and not really in sync. I mean, and it's just in sync with the story, but it's not. It doesn't fit the mood they're in and, and all of that. Like, if I'm making any sense with that, but like, it, yeah. Don't think that it fit. Well, I, I just don't think they were in the right place yet to even like if that. When I saw that deleted kiss, because it was a long time after I watched the episode that I saw that, I was like, "Whoa!" Like this would have been really weird. I'm kind of glad they yeah. didn't put that in. But, in a way, it's much more powerful the way that it is. Yeah, you know, and it's something for the whole of the you know for every aspect yeah. of their relationship. You know, it's a chaste relationship. And I think that it, it's all much more powerful because of that. Because if it had been a romantic yeah. kiss at that point, you know, it reduces everything the way that exactly. it is. Mm-hmm. It's much more powerful. You still get this sense of love and that they're soulmates. But it's yeah. to the nth degree because it's not just reduced to a romantic relationship. Right. Yeah, it's not the time. It's not the place. They're not yeah. ready for it. Yeah, well, know. especially what Scully's dealing with, I think it would be kind of cheap for him to throw that in there, you know, because then give her something else to think about. Like, yeah. it, he wants to focus on her struggle right now. Okay, so, you know, powerful ending on that episode, and then we go into Kaddish, which you were saying really should have come a lot earlier. And yeah. The production yeah. of the episodes is out of order with the broadcast episode, the broadcast order. But this is, you know, this tends to be where it's watched in order. I think most people who aren't aware of the whole Super Bowl fiasco yeah. <laughs> probably watch yeah. Leonard Betts and then never again. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was not aware. So. Which is absolutely the wrong way to watch it. You've got to it's, watch Never Again. It's a horror. Yeah. You, you'll have to go back, Emily, and, and rewatch. Like, I'm here, still not so over it. Like, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Because it. it makes no sense. It's horrible. Horrible. I, I hate that they did that. I, I think that, and uh, people are going to come down on me for saying this, but I think Chris should have fought harder. He should have made it. Um, he should have made Leonard Betts come after uh, I can just imagine all these people around the country sitting there with a box of tissues, watching, <laughs> crying out, you know, crying through never again, going, she had cancer, all she wanted was to play battleships. <laughs> And a desk. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, Kaddish, there's some readings of this episode which I like, which go really deep and say a lot about love and death and stuff. And I can see that in the episode, but to me, it's not one of the stronger episodes. Um, yeah. You know, I was thinking about it today, you know, the whole Gollum thing and. Yeah. You know, it's all about, you know, they get married at the end, they have that one ring, and you can do a whole synopsis of this, that this is right. about Gollum trying to get his precious ring, and 
<laughs> it's another one of those filler episodes that yeah. Um, there there are great things about it, but you kind of skip it every now and then because <laughs> all I I would say all I kept thinking was at the very end she like rubs one of the letters off his hand and then he starts uh decomposing or turning back into what was it the dirt that she made him out of yeah or something yeah. i just kept thinking of like any one of the people he killed they should have just like hit his hand and he would have just like disintegrated in front of him but just, like, yeah. his hand off but. <laughs> yeah it, it it does feel like a bit of a filler episode um yeah i, I remember watching this it's probably around the same sort of time that i'd learned a lot of stuff about Judaism in school and religious education and I guess it's quite cool at the time seeing a lot of that in practice through this episode you know it's kind of educational from that perspective yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it is I actually wrote a paper on this episode because I was in a world religions class and we did a lot of that so yeah, yeah definitely it was interesting to learn about you know, and also learn about the you know the different folk tales from other cultures, the same as we did the Mexican goat sucker earlier, and having the yeah. the golem story uh, coming up here. Um, you, we we can't go past this episode without touching on the whole Ismol the Jewish kind of thing. It's something that yeah. gets hinted at a couple of times. I mean, it's not a big deal. It's a character point that is it really necessary to know or not. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think, at the time were sort of disappointed that this episode didn't clarify any of that. Um, right. And if anything, it, you come out of this episode, you know, not really sure that he is Jewish anyway, whether that matters or not anyway. But Howard Gordon has said that, no, he doesn't think that, that Mulder is Jewish. But obviously we get references to that in some past episodes and in Drive. Um and I just got some notes here that in this episode, yep. Mulder is unable to identify a Jewish book, states that he does not know Hebrew, and quips that Jesus returned from the dead as <laughs> <is> evidence <laughs> that he's not Jewish. Uh, so I stole that from X-Files Wiki. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like that part when he says that, you know, like a Jew pulled off 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice little quip. Yeah. <laughs> And there's quite a bit of um, references to Schindler's List in this episode as well. Yeah. Just the, the style of the music. Uh, I think that Mark Snow said that, you know, he's definitely influenced by John Williams' score for that movie. And in the opening scene at the funeral, everyone, all the mourners are all dressed in black. And they stuck a little girl in a red coat in there as well, just to yeah. hammer it home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where you influence on your sleeve, X-Files X -Files has never been shy about doing that. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And if we have nothing else on that, I guess that brings us to our last episode for this show, Unrequited, which is a paranoid military thriller as opposed to your standard uh, government conspiracy thriller. Yeah. <laughs> so this is obviously, you know, the idea of somebody who is invisible, something that you know we touched on with um, El Mando Gira, these people who are on the outsides, on the outskirts of society. In this case, it's um, a war veteran, prisoner of war, who has been forgotten. He's politically invisible, and so that's symbolized in this by him actually having the ability to turn invisible so that people can't see them, and so he's able to go around and assassinate people that have wronged him because they can't see him when he's standing right in front of them. 
Yeah, I found that interesting that um, he was only invisible when you were like looking straight at him. They said that later on in the episode, yeah. and that's why he was always in close, very close quarters when he killed the people. But did they go into why he was invisible? Like, I just watched this, but I, I think that it's something you know. There's two parts to it. Part of it is that everybody has blind spots in yeah. their vision that yeah. your your eye, your your brain um, automatically fills in, so you're not aware of them. But I think, and I could be wrong, but I believe in the episode they talk about how because he has been held as a prisoner of war in Vietnam for so yeah. many years that he's, he's picked up some sort of skill from them as as guerrilla fighters, yeah. um, the ability to sort he's- of hide in plain sight. Yeah, he's able to manipulate that and because and, he spent so much time doing that, so he's able to carry that on. Okay, yeah. This is a pretty slick sort of episode, just the way that it's directed and just watching again, just all of the locations in this episode <laughs> in particular, they just really seem like they could be the real deal, you know, even though it was all shot up in Vancouver, you know, it, the, yeah. it looks like, you know, Arlington National Cemetery. It, it looks... Yeah. Yeah, the bit where, yeah, we have the cars uh, at the beginning of the the parade. You have the cars sort of in that tunnel, ready to go up and stuff. I mean, it all just looks so legitimate. They did a really yeah. good job with the yeah. locations on this. They did it. They did a fantastic job. The episode. There are parts of that episode that almost have like a JFK feel to it. When, especially at the very end, when you're when you're watching the the parade with the general at the end and all the people are like in that gra- it's kind of like the grassy knoll for JFK and and the guy in in tears is just standing there and you're like you might as well have given him an umbrella and it would have been the guy in the <laughs> I was actually that was those are my two thoughts on that scene was oh my god that that actually looks like Arlington they did a really good job with the location second thought was is that the same place where they shot the JFK sequence in musings <laughs> Because it's, it's like I said, like you might as well have just given him an umbrella because it would have been perfect. It, it, you just you, you have that whole. It's like the cars are going by and the band and all of that, and you're yeah. like, okay, here comes JFK, and you know this is the whole grassy knoll thing, and you're expecting all of that to happen. It's it's brilliant. I love it. And what's the deal with the cards that he leaves on people's bodies? Some, something to do with the symbol on the back. I guess these are their kill cards. In Vietnam, the soldiers would leave one of these cards on each of their victims or something like that. Yeah, isn't that... I, I actually don't know about that. But... Yeah, I thought it was just his signature, but I don't... Yeah, I think yeah. I, I could have sworn I read something about it a while ago, but I missed it uh, when I was reviewing the episode, and I couldn't find anything on that, but I'm, I'm sure I read that somewhere. But maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, let's go ahead and do a quiz. I have five questions. Okay. And you can both just jump in if you know the answer to any of them. Okay. All right. So in Paper Hearts, John Lee Roach was a traveling salesman, but what did he sell? Vacuum cleaner. Vacuums, yeah. He did. I got one. (laughs) (laughs) I've got one. I just never use it. (laughs) Okay. Um, in El Mandogira, or how how you pronounce it, El Mandogaira? 
I have always said El Mundo Gyro, but I'm not sure. Gyro. Yeah, I say, I say Gyro, but I don't know. It's, I'm sure it's... Okay. Huh. Because I I have pronounced some of the episodes legitimately wrong. It's, so I'm glad that we're all saying this one slightly know. differently. It makes me feel <laughs> less <laughs> of, a, of an imposter. <laughs> so uh, in this episode, uh, El Mundo Gira, what was unusual about the rain that fell? It was, it was yellow, yellow, no? Yeah, it was yellow. <laughs> Okay, never again. In this episode, according to Scully, what movie did she see on her last date? Oh. That line is playing in my head and I don't remember. Right? I just watched this. Um, I know it was a movie I don't think I've seen. That's probably why I don't remember. Yeah. And she said the characters in the movie probably had a better time than she did. Yeah, that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the name of the movie. <laughs> it's, we have yeah. found a friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's Glengarry Glen Ross. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's, it, it's a play. It's basically like four salesmen in a room in an office, and that's the whole thing. But it's like Alec Baldwin and Jack Lemmon and Ed Harris, I think. Is it good? Yeah, I probably haven't seen it's, that. It's an okay film, but uh, yeah, it's not exactly <laughs> when they were all having a good time. So. <laughs> not a date movie? Is that a- no. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why they had a better time than she did. <laughs> yes. Okay. In Memento Mori, how did Mulder guess the computer password at the clinic? Oh, he saw the... the- the snow globe. Snow globe, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay, and then in Unrequited, what was the name of the far-right paramilitary group? Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> um, yeah, Emily. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to jump in. <laughs> Uh, yes, please. <laughs> I don't remember at all. <laughs> it was the right hand. Ah. Remember, they always had the. On the way to their compound or whatever, they had that white hand print on the trees and stuff oh, leading to it. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I always thought it was actually called the white hand, but apparently it's called the right hand, so. Right hand. There you go. Interesting. Yeah. Three out of five. <laughs> That is not a bad score. <laughs> yeah, I, the questions used to be outrageously hard, so I have I do feel like I've gotten a bit better, but it's still tough, kind of trying to come up with questions that I'm hopefully aren't going to be stuff that we've already talked about in the episode. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I can't be like, what was the book that he kept his paper hearts in? Because that's going to be a talking point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if you actually like, there if you had hard questions and if, if I was doing this about eight years ago I would have known I probably would have known the answer to every single one of your questions because I knew everything in detail but it's been so long now and you, you get busy you get lives and you just don't have that much time to dedicate to a TV show anymore yeah I hear you yeah <laughs> that's why I decided like, hey this would be a cool idea let's do a podcast yeah. but like there's like little things that yeah. will stay under your skin and that you would just never forget about 
Because there are episodes when you're rewatching, it's just like you you were just watching that five minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah, I think especially these episodes now, season four and season five, I think these yeah. are probably the ones that we have all watched so many times over so the years. So many times. Mm-hmm. It's, I, and I really agree with what you said earlier in this podcast about uh, how it, it's the climax of the show. I, I really do yeah. believe that seasons four and five are the best of the show. It's the best of everything. It's the best of the monster of the weeks. It's the best of the mythology. It's it's brilliant. See, I like six too. Like I group four, five, and six together, and then a little bit. I like seven more than six, just because there's a lot more Cancer Man interesting storylines around. Well, yeah, yeah. Season six has grown on me. It was never a favorite of mine. Yeah, Um, but yeah, there's certain episodes in it which I do enjoy quite a bit more now. Yeah. than I used to. Um, but yeah, otherwise I think I would say four, five, and seven for yeah. me. Yeah, I always say four, five, and seven. They're the best for me. Okay, well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Right. Um, listeners out there, hope that you have enjoyed this podcast. Please uh, tell your friends, tweet, go on Facebook, whatever you want to do. Just help us get the word out there. Please go to iTunes and subscribe. Give us a rating, give us a review, because that helps us move up in the rankings, helps us get found by more people. Uh, If you have any feedback, if you want to get in touch, if you want to ask a question for us to answer on the show, you can get in contact with me. Uh, Go to xfilestalkxfiles.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, uh, David T. Harwood. Emily, Trish, do you want to go ahead and give out any of your Twitter handles or anything like that? Yeah, if, um, people can follow us on our website. It's um, xfilesnews.com or we have a Tumblr. It's xfilesnews and you can follow us on Twitter too. We post most of our information on Twitter pretty fast. So it's, it's yeah. just xfilesnews and um, we also have Facebook too. But for the fastest one, it's definitely Twitter. It's just xfilesnews. Is there a drag race going on there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, thank you both so much uh, for coming along and doing this. I've had a really good time talking with both of you. Yeah, thank, thank you for you having so us. Much. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Awesome. Uh, listeners, uh, next week we will be back. We will be talking Tempest Fugit through to Demons. So Good until up. then, uh, goodbye, stay out of trouble, and I'm going to go get drunk and get a tattoo to promote my new podcast. <laughs> But I've seen none of the above If I did, I think I 